Titus, the book of Titus, chapter 3. <sighs> the book of Titus, the book of Titus, chapter 3. We're going to read verse 1. In Titus chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. When you got it, say so. It says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. God, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for the beautiful reminders that you hear us. But Lord God, also for the reminders of what you call us to do. As you spoke through the Apostle Paul to Titus, God, so remind us today. As we come <clears throat> to the end and to the um, wrapping up of this series, God, may you speak to our hearts clearly and may you remove confusion. And may we, Lord God, leave this place better for having been under the authority and teaching of your word May I decrease, may you increase, may your words be heard louder than every other word and every other voice in our culture, and may we not be distracted, God, by anything this morning. We pray all of these things in Jesus' good name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want to be sure that you're able to follow along. Um, we want to be sure that you're able to take some notes. Um, we want to be able to and want to be sure as well that you are able to answer some questions. I know that this has been challenging in some areas um, for you as believers sitting down. And again, I thank you so much for not staying home today, right? For coming um, with me and being here to hear the, the end of this series. Um, there could be much more that could be said regarding um, politics and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think we could have some personal conversation. And I honestly, I hope and I pray this, right? I pray, number one, that you have heard what I believe the Word of God says, um, and if God's Word says it, then that's what we should believe, that's what we should hold on to, and so I pray that you have heard what God's Word says on some things. I pray that the areas where God's Word has not been crystal clear uh, in, the, in the suggestions that I've made, I hope that those have been helpful, uh, but I also hope this, I hope that uh, you will utilize this as an, as an opportunity to have mature conversations. Okay? Mature is the word, right? That's the key here. Not immature, just, you know, blowing up like on each other. No, no, no. But having real conversations, having some real talks, really engaging with one another, especially with those you disagree with. I think that it helps you to at minimum understand each other. You don't ever have to agree, but at least you can, uh, you know, you can, you can talk about some things that, you know, are difficult to deal with. And so today, as I said on, on, in Realm, I said that I was going to speak on no fear. And one of the things that we have to um, realize is this, is that the enemy wants us to fear, does he not? That's what he wants. He wants us to fear. He wants us to walk around afraid. 
And unfortunately, what we have is we have a, a culture that we live in that is very much, there's a lot of fear-mongering that goes on. And I wish that I could just point to one side and say, they're the fear-mongers, but it's not true. If you're honest and you really look at both sides, no matter what media you listen to or who you like or whatever, you have to be honest with the fact that there are fear-mongers on both sides of the aisle. And, and there's both kind of people trying to speak fear into your life rather than, and, and it's all it's doing is producing more division, right? It's not something that brings about unity. And so we have to be careful when somebody starts speaking things that are making us be fearful, we need to pause for a moment because we know that the scripture shows us, right, that God hasn't given us this spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and love and of a sound mind, right? That's what God has given us. And so when somebody is coming at me with, with from a place of fear, red, white, or blue, it doesn't matter, then I have to pause and say, wait a second, is this the enemy speaking or is this God speaking? That's what we have to do, right? It doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't matter if it's your favorite newscaster or news reporter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's your favorite politician or not. It doesn't matter how much you like them. But if they start coming at you with fear, then you need to ask that question. Now, here's the other thing. And I, and I think I was talking to Brother Troy about this the other day. We were talking about fear. And he said, you know, fear is good sometimes, right? Because what does fear do? Fear wakes you up. Fear keeps you on your toes, right? Fear keeps you aware of what's going on. Like, I, I can say this, you know, being a guy, you know, that has a family, there's certain places that when I go with my family alone, I'm like, man, I got to be on my toes because if something goes down, like, I don't want no one to get hurt. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to be sure that I'm protecting my family, right? And so what happens is, the reality is this, is that at some point you need to pause and say, is this the enemy speaking? But you also need to pull back and say, wait a second, is God trying to open my eyes to something? Are you here? Because there are some moments that God is trying to open your eyes to something, and he's trying to show you something. Because the Bible does speak about healthy fear, does it not? And we'll, we'll look at some scriptures that look at that today. And today we're going to deal with that. And so here's, here's what I'm going to talk about. No fear, united in faith. That's what I hope that we can walk away with. If you look at your outline here, political correctness, right? And so I entitled this series Politically Correct, right? And, and, and it was obviously a play on words because I don't believe that Christians are called to be politically correct in any way, shape, or form. All right, how many would say amen to that? Okay, how many of you believe that Jesus was not politically correct? Okay, because I remember a story, right? I thought about this as I was thinking about this whole sermon series, thinking about how unpolitically correct Jesus was. There was a woman that came to Jesus, and she was like, hey, my, my daughter is demon-possessed. Can you cast the demon out? And Jesus is like, listen, you know, the dogs, right? I can't quote him exactly. But he's talking, and he's like, you know, uh, the bread is for the children at the table, not for the dogs. And the woman was like, well, hey, but at least, but the dogs even eat the crumbs. And so by implication, you know what Jesus was saying? You're a dog. Does that sound politically correct? In today's culture, they would have been like, Jesus, I'm going to call it like it is. He's a misogynist, jerk. He's calling women dogs. That's what they would have said. That's how they would have broke that down. Go on ahead and throw that. Take Jesus out of it. Remove the red letters and don't tell him who said it. Hey, what do you think about this story? Oh, he's some kind of chauvinist, whatever, and he's this and that. He's a bigot. He's a racist. That's what they would have called Jesus. Let's keep 100, y'all, because if we're going to go by the red letters, right? Because that's what we want to do today, right? That's what we want to do now in our day. We just want to look at the words of Jesus. Okay, so let's look at the words of Jesus. Jesus was not some politically correct, meek and mild like we think he is. No, no, no. Jesus was radical, right? He rebuked the Pharisees of his day, hardcore. But he had some conversations. And, and you know why I'm bringing up women? I'm bringing up women because I want you to know that Jesus was gracious. He elevated women, but he had some direct conversation with women as well. The woman at the well, you remember her? That was a tough conversation, was it not? 
Like, hey, go get your husband. Oh, well, I don't have a husband. You're right. The five you had and the one you're with now, they're not your husband either. In other words, you're a floozy. Hello. And that's a nice word, right? But what was he saying to her? He wasn't being politically correct. And so we can't think that political correctness is the way Christians are supposed to be. Now, what we do know because of Jesus' mandate and who he is, we know that everything Jesus did was in love. Even in that conversation with the Syrophoenician woman that I told you about earlier, Jesus, Jesus recognized her faith, did he not? He was like, man, this woman has faith for real. She's like, all good, give me some crumbs. The crumbs are enough to heal my daughter. Give me, give me some help, right? And he recognized that, right? He, that, that woman that was at the well that he had that conversation with, you know what he did? She walked away as a powerful evangelist to where she went, did she not? told everybody about Jesus, became that prophetic voice, that evangelistic voice for Christ. And so political correctness is not the way that Christians are supposed to be. And I would say this, political correctness is rooted in the fear of man. It is rooted in the fear of man. The reason why, and, and, it, and, and it is inspired by the enemy who seeks to silence the gospel. Remember, listen, if we are going to be gospel people, then we believe that God is good. He is holy. He is the only one that is perfect. He created all things good, and man messed it up. And we are now sinners, fallen by nature, by birth. We are born into sin. Our sins of decision separate us from God, and they align us with God's judgment. You understand that is not cool talk today. Hello. That everybody walking this planet, you have either repented of sin and you have bowed your knees to Jesus and you are going to spend an eternity with him or you are a rebel who is in rebellion against God no matter how good you are. And guess what? Your sinfulness and sometimes self-righteousness is going to do what? It's going to send you to an eternity of punishment and damnation separated from the love of God. That is the scary side of the gospel. Nothing we can do can bring us back into a right relationship with God. Our good works are like filthy rags before the Lord. This is not politically correct speech, my friends. This is something that is offensive to the humanistic world that we live in. Those people that don't want to bow the knee to Jesus, they don't want to recognize that they need a Savior. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus came. He died in our place. He shed holy blood. His flesh was torn. He was broken, bruised, beaten. He died. He rose again on the third day. And now he offers new life to everyone who will believe. Everyone who will believe, he offers new life. But he does not say, I am a good way. I am one way. He makes it clear, I'm the only way. That's not politically correct. And the, and the enemy wants to silence that message. You know why? Because that is the only message that can change lives. That is the only message that can deliver souls from the bondage of sin they find themselves in. And ultimately, what he wants to do is he, hin he wants to hinder the church from its role of being salt and light in the earth. Church, we can't bow to politically correct, political correctness. In chapter 3 of the book of Titus, we see the scriptures here. And what does God speak here through to Titus, through Paul? Paul reminds them at the end, he's wrapping up this chapter, and he says, Remind them 
right? Bring it to their remembrance. We need to be reminded of these things, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. That verse 1 there, that sums up every single scripture that there is in the New Testament regarding our dealings with government authorities. That, that verse right there. Now, we're not going to just stick to that verse. We're going to look at the other verses that I, that I see that are pretty crystal clear because I want to give us some application from each of these verses. We're not going to deep dive into any of them. But what I want you to know is that scripture, if you look at it in your outline, the scriptures call us to willingly, willingly subject ourselves to governing authorities, to obey wherever the laws of man do not violate the laws of God. Did you hear me? Wherever the laws of man do not violate the laws of God, no matter what we feel about them, no matter what we think about them, wherever a law that does not violate the laws of, uh, laws of God, guess what? We're to obey, period. No question. There's no like, you know, uh, there, there, there's no asterisk there that in the Greek, right, that says, but if, no, no, it doesn't say that. It doesn't communicate that. It says obey, and then it says what? It says, and to do good, and in readiness to do good things. So that's what we are supposed to be, how we're supposed to be in our culture. But here's the thing. If we are governed by fear, we will never be those types of Christians. If we're governed by fear, we will never be those types of Christians. We will never willingly submit and obey. We will never be ready for good works all the time because we will be thinking the wrong thoughts. We're not thinking with the thoughts of Christ the way that we should. And here's the thing, as the people of God, we must only, hear me when I say this, we must only fear God living by faith, united in the mission God has given us. That's what we are supposed to be about, church. We are supposed to fear God. We are supposed to be what? We are supposed to be those who are living by faith. And we are supposed to be those who are on the mission that God has given us, no matter who it offends. No matter, no, no matter who doesn't like it, no matter how uncomfortable it is for us in the midst of a culture that, listen, there are so many issues, so much division. I spent last week, and I, and I don't know about some of y'all, but this, I mean, this is like historical stuff, right? Like, there's only been a few presidents that have ever been, like, up for impeachment. Hello. It's a big deal. How many of you guys watch the, 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 the hours, hours, and hours of that stuff? How many of y'all? Let me see those hands real quick. All right. So, so, yeah, all right. Well, I watched the hours of grueling stuff. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't. I did, don't. Listen, if you watch sound bites, I want to hear from you. I don't want to hear from you because I sat through all of that mess. There's only, listen, there was only one hearing that I didn't hear because I was like, I ain't got nothing to say. And there were no sound bites from that one, so it must have been a bust anyway. But nonetheless, here's the point that I make. I watched all of that stuff because I didn't want anybody to come and tell me anything and say, hey, this is what happened, or send me some kind of sound bite from somewhere. or say, No, I heard it all. I sat there and I watched it because this is historic stuff. And these are things that, man, I'm, it's like serious. But we sit there, and, and for those of you that raised your hand, I can assure you if we sat down and had a conversation, we came to different conclusions. I can assure you that we probably disagree on what should be the next step. We probably do, and that's okay. But I can tell you what, I would hope that if we ever have a conversation, that we can sit down and we can really dialogue about that and really talk about, okay, well, why do you believe or think what you think? Like, what, 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 what did you see that I didn't see or whatever the case is? But the fact of the matter is, when we look at the way that we are supposed to be in our culture, church, we are not supposed to fear anyone but God. That is what we're supposed to do. I want you to think about this this morning. When the fear of man is removed, the fear of God is restored, and that's all that matters. When the fear of man is removed, the fear of God is restored, and that's all that matters. 
That is all that matters. When we decide, you know, well, I've talked a couple of times about Kanye West and all this kind of stuff and some different interviews that he's been in. And one of the, and one of the things, the questions that continues to come up in the interviews is that, you know, are you afraid? Are you afraid of what this is going to cost you? Are you afraid? And he says something along those lines of what I just said. He's like, man, when I was fearing man, when I was fearing people, I was all afraid of what people thought. He's like, now I fear one person and that's it. And that's God alone. Church, that's the way that you and I are supposed to be, that we're willing to risk it all for Christ, that we're willing to give it all for Christ, that we're willing to lay our lives down. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so we're going to run quickly through these scriptures here. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 13. I want us to start there really quickly, please. The book of Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 7. And again, I'm not going to deep dive into any of these scriptures because I feel like you you guys have heard and, and will know, but I want you to look at what the apostles have spoken here's what the bible says y'all and please pay attention to this if you're writing notes you can write this down the scripture says let every word be established by two or three witnesses right and so the reason why this is important is because when you and i study our bibles right we cannot just take one scripture and make doctrine out of one scripture because we could have misinterpreted that scripture and misunderstood that scripture but what we have to do when we are going to establish doctrines for life what we have to do is we need to walk that doctrine through the Bible. And we need to make sure that that doctrine that we're holding to, that it holds fast. And so what we have here is in the New Testament, I want to bring you to two apostles who speak about this topic of government. And obviously their situation was different than ours. Nonetheless, they speak boldly and they speak candidly. You already heard from one of them, and it's from the book of Titus chapter 3 that is written by the apostle Paul, who is writing to Titus, who is in Crete, and he is there, he's establishing the church there. He's establishing elders there. And Paul writes to them. But then uh, Pastor Aldo, he actually preached from Romans chapter 13. And so Romans chapter 13, I'm going to read it and then we'll deal with it. But it says this. It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now let me pause there real quick because what do we just see, right? Same thing, same terminology. Paul hasn't changed. Whether he's dealing with the people in Rome or he's dealing with the people in Crete, it doesn't matter. He says the same words here. He says, for there is no authority, but he gets a little deeper, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now listen, that, that right there chokes up some Christians. Right? That chokes up some Christians whenever they think about people who are in authority and they're like, man, how is that person in authority? How could God appoint that authority? Listen, I don't have all the answers to that, but I have the answer right here. I don't, I don't have to justify God on anything else. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to placate to anybody's emotions or feelings or anything like that. It is simple, right? Whoever's in authority, God has appointed that. That is what it says. God has established governing authorities for a reason. He goes on to say this, therefore, whoever resists, say resist. This is a big word. I, I busted Pastor Aldo's chops about this because I said, man, this is a cultural word that is rising in our day. Resist, resist, resist. And what does our Bible say? See, when the Bible speaks to something in our culture, you have to speak up. Why? Because the Bible spoke up. Because the Bible says something about this. And so here's what he goes on to say. He says, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. 
Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due taxes, to whom taxes are due customs, to whom customs fear. Remember that word fear? Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So what does Paul make crystal clear for us? Say this with me. Say, we do not fear because we accept God's appointment of government. We do not fear because we accept God's appointment for government. What does this scripture show us? This scripture shows us crystal clear, crystal clear for us, makes it, we, we know this, that God is the one that establishes all authority. And, and here's what we realize though, and I'll talk about this in my next point, but sometimes authorities, they miss it, do they not? Sometimes they get it wrong. Sometimes they forget why they are in positions that they're in position. But what does the scripture tell us as well? It shows us that prayerful subjection is the result of our faith in God. I want to say that again. Prayerful subjection to authority is a result of our faith in God. I say this when it applies to marriage. I say this when it applies to parenting. I say this when it applies to the workplace. Your behavior and treatment of the authorities over you is a direct reflection of of your trust in God. Are you here? It's not about them, right? When the Bible tells us to do certain things, it does not connect our obedience to the scriptures with what somebody else does. It tells children, honor your parents, does it not? It doesn't say honor them only when they're fair. That isn't what it says. It doesn't say honor them when they're not harsh. Honor them when they're not abusive. It doesn't say, and listen, I'm not, I'm not condoning harsh treatment. This morning I was repenting before the Lord for, for harshness. I'm trying to, you know, it's too young, but too early. But I was trying to teach my son how to ride a, ride a bike on, on, on the other day. And I thought about my, my yeah, he's too young for that. Um, and I, 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 I don't know, anyway, I'm going to bring somebody else to teach him because I'm terrible, right? I thought about, like, my son, y'all pray for me, okay? I'm like, God, let me not ruin my son over a bike, okay? I'm literally there with him, and he's, because, let, let, me, let me give you some context. Let me give you context, okay? So he's like, him and I are talking. It's Friday. I'm like, hey, we're going to go ride our bikes today. Haven't ridden our bikes in a while. I couldn't get to my um, pump for the tires and stuff like that. So I pumped up the tires. Him and I are going to ride together. So he got a new bike, uh, you know, last Christmas. And this bike has, the, has these um, training wheels on it. However, the training wheels are not adjustable, right? So they're meant, I'm assuming, right, because this is the only reason I could assume that some brainiac, we'll call him that, would create a bike that you cannot adjust the training wheels on it, right? So the training wheels are stuck in a position. I think the reason is because they want the child to start to learn to balance. However, my son wants to just lean, which creates difficulty because he's gonna he's falling off of this bike. So we're riding together. Really, we rode like literally. If you ever been anyway, we drove like from the street corner to here, and then I had to turn around. And I'm like, Josiah, what's up, man? And, and you know, so we're talking, we're having a conversation. I get off my bike. I'm like, I'm walking with him, and I'm like, come on, just pedal. I'm trying to show him. And then he's like, well, you know, sometimes the training wheels are just, you know, they're 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 annoying. And I'm like, 
Okay, that's, that's easy to fix. Let's take the training wheels off. I'm like, he wants to learn how to ride. Amen. Right? We're going to do this, right? And so we get here, right? So that's the context, right? I was, I was trying to be a good dad. And, and the moment starts off well, and he gets on the bike. And I'm like, okay, Josiah. And then there's another little girl. She's learning to ride the bike. Josiah is super distracted by everything that's going on. I'm like, Josiah, focus on the bike in the road. He's six. Okay. So you already see this is going downhill, right? We're going downhill. This is all going downhill. This is just not a good thing, right? So anyway, to just finish the story of my horribleness as a parent, it ends up with my son falling off the bike, scratched his knee a little bit. He's crying. I'm like, no compassion here. I'm like, are you okay? He's like, yes. I'm like, so stop crying. He's like, I think I broke my ankle. I'm like, where's your ankle? He's like, here. I'm like, that's not your ankle. He's like, here. I'm like, you didn't break anything. But nonetheless, I'm there. So this morning when I'm in prayer before I get up to preach, I guess I had to confess this. Nonetheless, I am, look, but here's, here's why I tell you this story, right? Despite the fact that I'm a horrible teacher when it comes to riding bikes and I'm insensitive to stuff, does that mean my son gets a right to dishonor me? Now, he doesn't know that, right? He's crying. Like, he's, he's not dishonoring me. He's just emotional, and I'm terrible. Anyway, I've repented, and I've confessed, so now we're good, right? <sighs> I don't know if I'm going to tell that story second service, but nonetheless, nonetheless, right? What we have is we have these commands that are given to us to honor, to respect those who are in authority. That is a result. Look, our maturity is shown in our ability to trust God above that person. Did you hear me? Our ability, our maturity is shown in our ability to trust God above that person. To trust, like the book of Proverbs says, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. Are you here? We have to grasp that, especially when it comes to authority structure. So what does it mean when Paul tells us here to be subject to every governing authority? So I love this. I'm not going to read the whole definition. Basically, the word, what it means is to subject yourself, to arrange yourself under but when you look at this word, there's two applications to it. There is the military application of it, which wouldn't apply to us, but the military application is this, to arrange troops in divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. And so that's one, one way that this word is utilized in the Greek. But the other way that the word is utilized in a non-military form, and this I've read to you guys before, whenever I've talked about honoring parents, whenever I've talked about submission and marriage, here's what that word means. It means a voluntary attitude of giving in. Did you hear that? A voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating. Let me ask you a question, y'all. Does cooperating sound like resistance? Anyway, I'll move on, but here we go. Um, assuming responsibility, recognizing that we have a responsibility. See, this cooperation is so bad because you know what we have? We have a nation right now that is so polarized and so pulling apart. And that's why I just want to move on, but I can't. Because what I believe is that as believers, because some of my friends that I love, that I care for, that I believe they love Jesus, just like I love Jesus, they have decided to put their feet down in the ground, and they are going to resist, 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 and they are more part of the problem than the help of the situation. Listen, it is so very important, so very important that we think about things that we said. I'm going to throw this out there because some of y'all have been hearing about it, and I will say this clearly. I love John MacArthur. With all my heart, I love him. I believe that he's a man of God. I don't think he would think I'm a Christian just based on some of the things that he said. But nonetheless, that's okay. But here's what I want you to understand. When, when he communicates something that is rude and disrespectful to a woman, he's wrong. Period. But let me tell you something. When Beth Moore gets online and she starts talking about fundamentals and conservatives and she's creating more of a problem, she's wrong. 
Neither of them is right in that situation. Now listen, they may both have great points, but when you allow your point to come forward and it is and it is handled in a way that is unloving and it's not objective to like, hey, you know what? Here's the thing. Let's have a conversation. Let's have a dialogue. Let's not just let's not just tweet at each other. Mind you, Beth Moore is the tweeter. John MacArthur is more of the one that will preach a sermon. He's not going to get on Twitter. I don't think he has a Twitter Twitter account. But here's what I want you to grasp. What I want you to know is that we live in a day, even in the church, where we are polarized, where we are pulled apart, where we, where we need to come together. And when I talk about cooperating, it's us sitting out saying, man, wait a second, we talked about it in the first week. What is best for our culture? Is the best thing for our culture, for us as believers to just say, you know what, I'm going to resist, I'm going to resist, I'm going to resist, and you know what, that's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to give any, I'm not going to budge in any kind of way. That's a problem, church. That's not our role. What our role is to say is, you know what, here's what the scriptures say. The scriptures say all authority is established by God. And so you know what I got to do? We're going to get to that verse in a moment. You know what I have to do? I have to submit in a godly way. I have to submit in a way. I have to stand up for righteousness for sure. And let me just put this out there because I know some of you question, right? Listen, I do not agree with like 90% of the things that the president tweets, man. I think he's rude. I think he's disrespectful. I think he does things that are questionable. Plenty of the stuff that he said and plenty of things that he did prior to him becoming president, those things were wrong. Those things I would denounce. But listen to me. I, would be, I wouldn't even be able to be a pastor of a church if I was going to just deal with, with, with President Trump's tweets. Hello. I wouldn't be able to do that. Like every day I'd be rebuking him. Every day I'd be talking about, because he does stuff that I don't agree with. But I'm going to tell you something else, and you're not going to like this either. There are some things that I do agree with that he does. There are some things that I would stand beside him and say, you know what, I'm down with that. You know, like when you look at some prison reform stuff he's doing, when you look at some of the things he's trying, yeah, I do agree with that. When you look at some of the laws that he's trying to get passed, I do agree with those things. And so what we have to do is we have to be wise enough to sit down and say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Have we taken the wrong posture? See, the wrong posture is complete silence. We can't just completely be silent, right? You know, when you look at Hitler, you look at these types of folks, like there was a moment that it's like, Christians, rise up, hello. Because these leaders were not doing, that. what they were doing was these rulers were a terror to good people. They weren't a terror to evil works. They were, they, they, they were promoting evil. They were promoting wickedness. And listen, I've said this before, and I will say this over and over again. Whenever a leader is promoting wickedness, I'll be the first to speak up and say something. I'll be the first one to get up and say something. When they start promoting, they start putting policies in place. And listen, you bring it to my attention because I don't know every single policy, y'all. I don't know every single thing. I don't read every single thing. I got plenty of other stuff to read. But here's what I know is that we need to be people that know what the scriptures say. And so, yes, I would be opposed to those who are part of the resist, resist, resist movement. I'm part of the group that says speak up, yeah. I'm part of the one that says, fix some stuff that's broken. Yes, I am. I'm part of those that say, nope, those things are wrong. I've told you, I've had a conversation with those who I would agree with on a lot of stuff, and I've let them know, hey, that's wrong. Your thoughts are wrong about that. Your positions are wrong about that. Nonetheless, I hope that you're being as bold as I am. Hello. So I would say resist at your own risk. Hello, somebody. <laughs> resist at your own risk. Why do I say that? Look what it says here, right? And I'll close with this point here and move on to the next one. Whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. Why do I say resist at your own risk? Because the right type of fear is to fear the Lord. And when you decide that you are going to oppose things, look, look at Gamaliel, right? Look at the, the, the advice that was given when they were going to, you know, beat the disciples in, in, in the book of Acts. And what did he say? He said, we need to be careful because we could be resisting God directly. Be careful. 
because you could be doing that. So resist at your own risk. Government is first and foremost, and we have to keep this in mind, God's servant. That's why we pray for them. Secondly, in our culture, they're supposed to be our representatives. And similar to elders in a church, they're supposed to have accountability. So I don't just live autonomously and do whatever I want to do, say whatever I want to say. When I'm talking about Scripture, I would hope that you guys are holding me accountable. Like, Bishop, I think that what you said doesn't align with Scripture. I want to talk about that. Let's have a conversation. Pastor Aldo would let me know that. He holds me accountable. But you have that accountability. Elders are not autonomous. Are you here? There's accountability. Same thing should be for our political figures. Okay, say this with me. Say, we do not fear because we recognize God's will in government and for us. Turn to 1 Peter real quick. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is another scripture here. Now, remember I said every word needs to be established by two or three witnesses. And so look at, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, the apostle Peter so we had one apostle, the apostle Paul. He tells us how we should deal with leadership, how we should deal with government. And then in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, the apostle Peter comes and he communicates to us and he lets us know how we are supposed to deal with government. Some of your Bibles have a heading and it says submission to government. Now that wasn't there in the original Greek. They put that here so you could understand what he's talking about. But when you got to say so, it says this. It says, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for whose sake? The Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him. Look at this. Sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. Now listen, whenever you see the will of God, you need to mark your Bible, right? This is the will of God. This is part of God's will for us, right? That by doing good, part of doing good is being honorable, submitting to authority. You may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Let me ask you a question. Do you think there are some ignorant, foolish men talking in our culture today? There are some voices out there that are ignorant, that are foolish. They're, 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 listen, they're, they're pandering to whatever their idea. They're not, they're not reasonable. They're not willing to have, con that's, that's part of being foolish, that you're not willing to sit down and have conversations. And he goes on and he says, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That's how we're supposed to operate. And so both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, they, they are under corrupt, harsh, anti-Christian governments. They are firm obedience, submission to government. What do they do? And they show us the role of government is what? The role of government is supposed to be to punish evil. Are you here? It is supposed to be to punish evil, and it is to be to reward good. That's what is supposed to happen in a governing system that is right. Even, here's the thing, I said this earlier, even when government gets its role wrong, followers of Christ have a higher standard and authority that we answer to. We have to remember that. That's why we are supposed to be honorable even when they're dishonorable. We are supposed to be honorable. We are supposed to be those honorable believers who are showing what God's will is. God's will for us is to live honorably amidst a culture of sinful appetites. Let me tell you something, church. One of the greatest marks of sin in a culture is its treatment of authority. Are you here? One of the greatest demonstrations of rebellion in a culture, of sinfulness in a culture, is the way they treat authority. Read, for, read um, first, first Timothy, 2 Timothy, where the Apostle Paul speaks about in these latter days. 
the dishonoring of parents. This begins at home. This doesn't happen in school. This doesn't happen in government setting. This begins at home, y'all. Listen, when you look at the, the foolishness that is going on with, you know, people dumping water and things like that at police officers, let me tell you something. My son or my daughter ever did something like that, boy, they, they wouldn't need to be arrested. No, they wouldn't. They, none of that. No, no, no. Exactly. They'd be calling the police on themselves. Take me away, please, glory to God. Like what kind? You know what that is? That's bad home training, y'all. I don't know those specific situations, but, I, but I'm willing to venture there's probably an absentee dad in the picture. I'm, I'm going to venture to say that. It's highly probable that that's what it is, that there's a lack of an authority figure that has shown them how to respect authority. And so we have these issues in our culture. We are supposed to be honorable. Listen, I told you we're not going to deep dive into any of these. The Apostle Paul makes it clear. We, by the way that we live, are supposed to silence foolishness. Why is it that you think that I've got so hard on the way that people have come across at evangelicals and all that kind of stuff? It's because our living is supposed to silence that foolishness. The way that we live is supposed to silence those voices. That at minimum, the people around us that see how we're living say, nah, man, Chris is ain't like that because my cousin, my sister, my brother, they ain't like that. That's not how they are. That's not how they think. And so we have to have that mindset. Now we're going to the last verse here, and we're going to pray together in a moment. But I want you to go to um, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Important portion of Scripture here. Great reminder of how we're supposed to be with authority. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 1 through 7 again. I wanted to give you this overview so that way you would be able to see what it is that the scriptures communicate. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. When you got to say so, it says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. What does the apostle Paul say? Say this with me. Say, we do not fear because we trust God's sovereignty despite government. We do not fear because we trust God's sovereignty despite government. See, what, what, what I find here, and we'll just walk this backwards, just some things that we see here, is that all men, including government, need salvation. Would you say amen to that? This is truth. That's why Paul ties in our treatment, our thoughts of government to salvation. Notice he does that. I don't do that. He does that. Long, long time ago, way before our days, because he understood something. If you get caught up in the politics of your day, you know what happens? When those things become your functional saviors, you lose your voice to speak to people about the Christ that you serve, about the kingdom that is going to come. And, and, and again, it is important for us, listen, we can agree to disagree and all that kind of stuff, but it is important for us to make sure that we are really keeping Christ at the center. 
that we're really keeping Christ at the forefront of what we're doing. The second thing that we see here is that Jesus made provision for the salvation of all men. He is the mediator, the one who brings peace. Would you say amen to that? That's what the text tells us. And the third thing that I would say the text tells us is that God wills that all men will be saved. Would you say amen to that? He wills. He says here in the word of God, he wills that all men will come to the knowledge of the truth, that they would be saved. That's crystal clear. Anyone who believes God will save. Anyone who puts their faith in him, God will. God is not going to reject it. We know these texts, right? We know what the scriptures say. So the question is this, what are we supposed to do in this day and age? What are we supposed to do in our culture? And here's what I would say that the scripture shows us. The scripture makes it a point. And Paul literally exhausts. He gives like every single thing you would do in prayer. Look what he says. He says that supplication, that prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks you made for all men. That's what he said. He like covered all bases. In other words, he said, listen, you should be thanking God for leadership sometimes. Sometimes you are supplicating and praying for them. And so like for your president, because I know that this is a tough thing. You know what? Sometimes you need to thank God. When he does something good, thank God. Amen. When you don't wake up to some crazy tweets, thank God. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? Like, thank God for the good stuff. When he does something, says something that is wrong. Listen, I'm going to say like this. Don't jump on Twitter. Don't go into No, no, no. You know what you need to do? Supplicate. Pray and intercede for him. When you see difficult situations, like we're going to do in a moment here, difficult situations like impeachment, I mean, that's huge, man. Like when you, I mean, I, I would hope, I would hope that you have been prayerful about this, that you are praying for our nation in this. Because this is, listen, so, some people think this is going to help our nation. It won't. It's not going to help our nation in any way. None of this is going to help our nation. They want to say that it is, but that's not true. It's going to further divide our nation. That's what it's going to do. And so you know what, you and I need to pray, and this is what we go, I'm going to lead it. You don't have to say amen, but I'm going to pray it anyway. We need to be praying that our political leaders have repentant hearts where they need to have it. That they would care more about our nation than they would care about their political party and their political positions and all that stuff. That they would care more about honoring God in this nation. That they would, that they would understand the implications that are surrounding this. That they would do that. Because they're not helping the nation in any way, shape, or form. Our role is to trust God's sovereignty first and foremost. Our role is to pray in faith. Our role is to live as vessels of peace. Our role is to be about our Father's business. Listen, I preached this series, and I said this before, because I, pr I plan not to have to say anything. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, and you guys know this, I'll say this a thousand times. If anybody misuses the scriptures listen that's my role as a pastor i cannot let anybody misuse this bible for their good i don't care who it is it doesn't matter who it is you let me know that you let me know when when president trump misquotes scripture i will tell you right now when president obama was in office one time i spoke about him one time and it was when somebody sent me an article in which he utilized the bible to approve same-sex marriage he said, the Bible says that we are supposed to love our neighbor. And so that is what convinced me to do this. I think that's a gross misapplication of Scripture. And so I'm going to speak up against the twisting of Scripture because if I don't, I'm not being faithful to the God who called me. And I want you to know something. I love every one of you in this room. And I don't care whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, whether you're an Independent. If somebody misuses the Bible, you can assure yourself your pastor is going to get up here and rebuke them for misusing the Scriptures. Because they are deceiving the American people for political gain. I don't care about all that stuff. 
your blood is on my hands. And so please know that. Please know that. That I don't plan to speak up. But if somebody starts twisting the Bible, I'm going to have to speak up, y'all. And you can pray for me on that, and you can be offended if you are. But here's the thing. I believe for sure that I have a mandate from God to stand firm upon this. I don't have a mandate from God to hold up the political party uh, that I like and to say they're the one that's the Christian party. I don't have a mandate for that. Now, if we start a purple party, I'm going to do that, all right? You all know that. <laughs> Which brings me to my closing question. Are you willing to be the purple party? Are you willing to be the purple party? And all this stuff we've talked about, right? Are you willing to be the purple party? What does that mean? Some of you that are independent, you're already kind of purple. That, that, that's where you're at, right? <laughs> You, you, you've left the, you know, the, the Republicans, you've left the Democrats. You're like, look, I'm going to be independent, and I'm not, I'm not going to be on either side of this. I'm going to go down the middle, and I'm going to try to figure out what's best for the culture. But here's, here, here's what I mean by this, and this is what I would say. Are you willing to be part of the Purple Party? The first thing is this. Are you willing to keep Christ in his kingdom before or ahead of your voter registration? Are you willing to, listen, are you willing to not accept, you need to vote all red or you need to vote all blue? Are you willing to step back and say, no, I don't. No, I don't. I need to, I need to try to be as biblical as, as I can. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to stand together on clear biblical issues? On clear biblical issues. Like we should stand together on clear biblical issues, should we not? If something is clear in the scriptures, we should stand together on those things. We should stand beside each other on those things. Whether your political party agrees with it or not, you should be willing to say, the Bible says it. I'm not down with that. Or the Bible says it. I am down with that. The third thing, are you willing to lovingly disagree on the gray areas? To say, you know what, we disagree. I, are you willing to, that, that's, that's being the purple party, y'all. That we're willing to just lovingly disagree in the gray areas and say, you know what, I, I, I can't hold you to a scripture on that. And, and, I, and, I, and I don't reason or rationalize the same way you do. However, I love you. Are you willing to ensure you are always part of impacting culture for the good? That's what the Purple Party does. They are always wanting to impact the culture for good, for God's glory. Everything they do, their actions, their votes, their associations, all of that is for one reason, because they want to impact the culture for the best. And above all, above all, are you willing to root your political engagement in scriptural prayer? Rooting your political engagement in scriptural prayer. Like I told you, looking at what the Bible has to say about decisions and things that are being promoted and put before people, having that be the thing where you say, you know what, God, what does your word say first and foremost? What does your word say above everything else? So let's bow our heads for a moment. If you would just stand with me, we're going to pray together for our nation. We're going to pray together for what's going on in our land. We're going to pray for each other. Grab your neighbor's hand. We are, we are the purple party. Hallelujah. Father, we bow to you with our hearts humbled in your presence today. And Lord, we sincerely, sincerely lay down our lives at your feet. We lay down our thoughts, our presuppositions, our affinities, Lord God, our prejudices. Lord, we lay them before you. And Lord, as you have commanded us, so we pray for the leaders of our nation. Father, we do pray for our president. We pray that you would give him wisdom. We pray that you would give him grace. We pray that you would give him humility. We pray, Heavenly Father, that his heart would seek after you. 
Father, I do pray, Lord, that those prophetic words over him, that he would not start off as a praying president, but he would become a praying president. So I stand in faith that that would be a reality. That he would be a president that seeks your face, that humbles himself before you, and that leads with integrity, God. Give him repentance, Lord God, where he needs to be repentant. Give him sensitivity. Let him recognize where he has not done good for the nation, Lord God. Father, I would applaud him, and I do, Lord, for the good that he's done. But Heavenly Father, there are other things that have not been good. Let him recognize. Let him recognize, Lord. Father, for those in the House, those in the Senate, those that are there in leadership, God, We talk about Ukraine and Russia and the corruption that's there, but God Almighty, we're guilty, Lord. And so, Father, we pray that you would give repentant hearts to our nation's leaders, God. Father, those who are in positions to make decisions, give them reasoning and rationale. Let them recognize, Heavenly Father, what their actions and, Lord, what, what they're doing that is not helping our nation, that is not good for our nation. Lord, we lay this impeachment at your feet, Lord. God, we have phone calls. God, we have opinions. We have transcripts. We have all of that. But you know what you have, God? You have what you know. You have what you know from your throne, your truth that you have seen. And so, Lord, we pray to you. For justice we pray to you for justice God father humble those who need to be humbled in our government and I don't just pray for our president to be a praying leader but I pray for our leaders to be praying leaders that they would not just use the Christian faith and Christian ease and church attendance and all that stuff to placate to voter, voters, Lord God, but that they would really be those who are on their face, humbling themselves before you, praying for this nation, God, and recognizing their role as ministers before you. And Lord, lastly, I pray for us in this room and for every person that calls themselves a Christian in this nation. God, may we be a people who before anything else that we get on our face before you, that we would humble ourselves before you and that we would recognize your power, that we would recognize your wisdom, that we would recognize your will, that we would humble ourselves to it and that we would be a people who trust you, God, who demonstrate a real trust in you, a real hope in you, God Almighty. Glorify your name today. Have your way in our hearts. And I pray against every division. I pray against every division in the body of Christ that, that is rooted in politics, God. Father, may we, your church, renounce those divisions. May we, as your church, turn away from those divisions. And may we seek for the unity that we are called to walk in, my God. For that unity is what makes clear who you are as the Savior, as the mediator, and as the deliverer. God, we surrender to you today, and we pray that you would be glorified in us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on and give God a hand of praise.